Let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 5. And uh, as you're doing that, I want you just to forget that you are in church here for a minute. By the way, I just want to stop for a second. I know that every week we are joined by people that are new to the Gospel City, the Gospel City Church. And I just want to say we are so thrilled every time we see a new face around here. I was talking with um, some of our uh, people that have been around here for a long time, and they say, they've said, you know, our church has gotten so big, I don't know who's new and who's old, and so I don't really know if I should go up and introduce myself. It doesn't matter if you don't recognize them, they're new to you. So this is the way that we form gospel community around here is by getting to know each other. So if you see an unfamiliar face, just Remember, your face is probably unfamiliar to them too, so go up and greet them. I want to greet you personally if you're new to Gospel City Church, and uh, this is what we do around here. We sing our faces off, glorifying Jesus in the first part of the service, and then we open our Bibles and we dive in to hear what God would say to us through His Word. Now, having said that, I want you just to forget that you are in church here for a moment, okay? I want you to pretend with me that I am not your pastor. I want you to pretend that I'm I am your physician, and you have stepped into the examining room, okay? Trust me, trust me, nobody's going to get hurt in this process, okay? But I want to just do a little, can we just do a little physical on you, you people here for a minute? And let's just take an overall picture of the physical health of this collection of people. By the way, just look around. Do you see anybody that looks sick beside you? Anybody look a little weak and sickly, you know, aging? Um, anybody? Yeah, okay, so let's just, just humor me here. And throw your hand up if any of these things apply to you because I need to diagnose your physical health as a group of people here this morning, okay? First of all, raise your hand if you are currently taking any medication. All right, just, oh my goodness, look at all the people. All right, put your hands down. Um, raise your hand if you experienced any joint pain this week. Any people, joint pain? Okay, good. All right, close. All right, anybody have the sniffles this week at all? Anybody have the sniffles, runny nose, a little nasal congestion? Anybody? <laughs> Some of you are like, can we wear a mask? Can I get any like hand sanitizer? Because I didn't realize how sickly these people were. All right, keep going. Uh, is there anybody here that's ever been diagnosed with, with a life-threatening illness, like a cancer, heart disease, high blood pressure? Um, okay, all right. Some of you, all right. We have medical emergency staff available. If anybody kills over in the service, we can take care of you. Um, um, how about this? All right, some of you are, some of you are feeling pretty good about yourself because you're like... I'm, I'm doing good, okay? And most of you are like teenagers. <laughs> any acne? Any acne in the room? Any, any acne? Okay, good. All right, got the rest of you in that one right there. Uh, good. Um, anybody have any uh, gastrointestinal issues? A um, little acid reflux going on? Okay. Is there anybody still that hasn't... Okay, I've got one guy over here. Any, anybody, anybody wearing eyeglasses or contacts, okay? <laughs> anybody, okay, good, all right, good. Is there anybody still just, just I, I, think, I think I covered everybody, right? Um, any wrinkles, any wrinkles in the room? Okay, wrinkles, good. I saw one lady back there, you haven't got me yet. Bam, just got you. All right, so why are we doing this? Let me tell you. 
everything that we just talked about, by the way, I'm no longer your physician, now I'm your pastor again, okay? You're out of the examining room, you're back in church, okay? The, everything you just indicated going on in you physically are the effects of living in a fallen, broken, spiritually sick world. The physical things that you just identified are the effects of sin. Today we're going to talk about the relationship between sickness and sin, your physical condition and your spiritual condition. Now, listen, there are a lot of churches that after we just diagnosed all that would call you forward and we would bop you on the head, pray for you real hard, tell you to exercise faith and leave out of here without, with, with all of that fixed, okay? You've come to the wrong church if that's what you were expecting, okay? I am looking at some of the most faithful people I know, people that have prayed. I guess the last question and all that, how many of you have asked God to fix all that? Just, God, take it away. Fix it. I don't want this. God, do a miracle. You're praying that God would take it away. And, and you've prayed in faith, and it's still there. So you have to acknowledge if you believe God is sovereign and in control, that somehow God has a plan for that. And we're gonna learn a little bit of that plan here today. So let's dive into the scripture here and I wanna introduce to you some people just like you, some really sick people in the Bible, okay? Um, right here in Luke chapter five, first of all, verses 12 through 16, let's read this story. While he, Jesus, was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. I didn't include leprosy in the list, but it's kind of like acne, uh, really bad case of acne, like all over your body, the, eventually your face just falls off. That's bad. And so this guy is in bad shape, a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. How many of you agree if the Lord wanted to, he could fix all of those problems. You believe that? That, this, that? Exactly. God, if he willed, he could make that happen. And sometimes he does. I believe in physical healing. And sometimes he does that miracle for us if he wills. And so he prays, verse 13, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Luke is so specific here. Do you realize that it, it was a violation of the law to touch an unclean leper? And if you touched an unclean leper, you became ceremonially unclean. You couldn't go into the temple and worship. Jesus looked at him. He could have healed him any way he wanted to, but he said, I'm going to heal you by touching you. Awesome. Awesome. And so he says, I will be clean. And immediately the, the leprosy left him and he charged him to tell no one, but to go and show himself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof of them. Remember that proof. Verse 15, and now even more, the report about him went abroad. <laughs> Great. The guy, Jesus said, don't tell anyone. And he goes and tells everyone. Why do you think Jesus didn't want him to tell anybody? Just, I think it was because Jesus didn't want them thinking that he had only come to heal physical sickness. We're going to find out more later. It says, great crowds gathered to hear him and he healed them of their infirmities. Verse 16, and he would withdraw to a desolate place and pray. 
Don't miss that. While there were scores of people still to be healed, Jesus withdrew and didn't heal everyone. Being with the Lord was more important than his public ministry. Where do you think he got the power to heal? It's when he got filled with the Holy Spirit and he did every miracle through the power of the Holy Spirit. So, we're introduced to this guy that's healed of leprosy. Here's the second story, and here's the one we're going to drill down on this morning. Verse 17. On one of those days, he was teaching, notice, not healing, he was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there and had to come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Let's just stop right here and observe a few things here. Now notice, Luke is taking us on a journey through these episodes of Jesus' life. It's almost like you've stepped into a museum or an art gallery, and as you walk down the hallways, you see these different portraits, and you stop and you stare at the portraits for a little while, and you study that one, and then you move on to another portrait over here. It, every portrait in this hallway is of Jesus doing something or teaching us something. And so remember, as we're walking through this art gallery here and we're staring at this particular story, we are introduced to a new figure in the story that's going to become a very popular, not popular, but prominent figure in the rest of the stories as we walk down this hallway. And this these particular figures are known as the Pharisees. Now, this is the first time that we are introduced to these Pharisees in the Gospel of Luke. We're going to talk more about the Pharisees next week, but I just want you to understand here's the first introduction to this group of religious leaders. They were teachers of the law, not only the written law, the Torah that we have in our Old Testament Bibles, but they had added all kinds of oral traditions of men to the written word of God and confused it all and they had become the spiritual referees, the spiritual police to make sure everybody's doing their rule keeping and they controlled people through guilt and, and just just these are not guys that, that we want to be associated with. Now, this is the first of five different stories that we're going to see in concession, uh, succession as we walk through Luke here in the next couple of weeks, okay? So I just want you to see Luke is getting ready to tell us about these Pharisees. He wants us to see the distinction between the Pharisees and Jesus. Understand there were three different religious groups, almost like three different denominations in the Jewish teaching. It was the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the other group was called the Essenes. And so they were kind of like the political parties. Everybody kind of polarized in one of these groups to kind of figure out how they were going to obey the Bible. So I just want you to see that on the front end. This is the first time that we're going to see major opposition to Jesus despite his public popularity because he was healing everybody. And so uh, we're introduced to these guys and notice the power of the Lord to heal was on him. So uh, we understand that every sickness is in some way connected to sin. Now let me make this disclaimer. I didn't say that your particular sickness is related specifically to your specific sin. We just live in this world 
that has been invaded by bacteria, viruses, demons, and death because of the brokenness of the original creation that God created. And so we live in a world where people get sick. We live in a world where people age and get old and get wrinkled and die because we live in a sin-infected world. And yet Jesus, as he comes into this world, has power over all of that, over all sickness and over all sin. That's what Luke is introducing to us here in this story. So look at verse 18. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. Everybody underline the word paralyzed in verse 18. This was his physical illness. It was his physical ailment. We don't know what caused the paralysis. We don't know if this is a partial partial paralysis. We don't know if he'd had a stroke and the left side of his body has been paralyzed and weak. We don't know if... um, if he, he had a neck injury, we, we don't know why he's paralyzed, but he, he's physically broken. And some men bring this guy to Jesus. It says at the end of verse 18, they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. I mean, it was like trying to find a parking space at Gospel City Church in the nine o'clock service. That's what it was like. I mean, it was crowded. People were pressing in. And so these guys were not going to take no for an answer. They got really ingenious and they found their way to the top and they came in through the roof. These guys wanted to get this guy to Jesus. Verse 20, and when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. That was not why they brought him there. I mean, can you imagine all the trouble that these guys had gone to? They had risked their lives climbing up on top of the roof. They could have fallen off and broken their neck and gotten paralyzed. They brought this guy to get his physical problem fixed. And Jesus looks at him and says, your sins are forgiven. Can you imagine their response? Uh, Thanks, Jesus, but the guy's got a broken neck. Is that all you're going to do? is just kind of say your sins are forgiven and send him home paralyzed? Would you have been satisfied? Did you know there's a lot of people that come to Jesus to get their physical problem fixed? And what Jesus is most interested in is fixing your spiritual problem? Would you have been satisfied coming to Jesus and him forgiving your sin, but not fixing your sickness. Would you have been satisfied with that? Would you be satisfied if Jesus fixes your physical problem, but never deals with your spiritual eternal problem, your sin? What's more important? This is the story that Luke is introducing to us. 
the importance of not only our physical brokenness, but our spiritual brokenness. Here's the first point of the message. We need to recognize the paralyzing power of our sin. This guy's greatest problem was not his physical illness. His greatest problem was his spiritual illness. Jesus introduces his healing power for sin. Now remember, all through the first five chapters of Luke, Jesus is healing physical sickness. But at this point, there is a turn in the story. And we are introduced to the primary reason Jesus came, not to fix your physical problem. Jesus came to fix your spiritual problem. And your spiritual problem is what is called sin. Just turn to your neighbor right now and say, your biggest problem is your sin. Now, if, if you're not bold enough to say that, would you at least be humble enough to turn to your neighbor and say, my biggest problem is your sin, is my sin, okay? <laughs> now, don't get, don't get the communication wrong here. My biggest problem is my sin, not your sin. My biggest problem is my sin. You see, it's really hard to admit that because if I've got a sin problem, that's a big problem. And it can't be fixed by anybody but Jesus. We don't like to talk about sin. Do you know why we don't like to talk about sin? Because deep down on the inside, we really don't believe it can be fixed. We don't like to stare at our sin because we do not believe fully and completely and totally in Jesus' power to forgive my sin. Only people who believe firmly in the power of Jesus' forgiveness are willing to stare face to face at the horror and the ugliness and the violence of their sin. I'm gonna challenge you to do that this morning. What is sin? What is it? We talk about it. What is it? Let's define it for a few minutes. First of all, in Scripture, we understand that sin is like trespassing. As a matter of fact, trespass is another word in Scripture for sin. It means you are crossing into an area that is forbidden. It means you are stepping over a boundary. God has boundaries. Not only does Jesus have the power to forgive sin, Jesus has the power to define sin. And yet, we don't like anybody defining sin but us. We like to set our own boundaries. And yet, Jesus has total and complete authority to set the boundaries of what is sin. Do you know what we do in our culture? What, what's happening more and more in our culture? We keep changing the boundaries. We keep pressing out so that we've got a bigger playground to play in sin. And the re reality is so many of us are playing outside the boundaries. We're trespassing. Not only is sin trespassing, sin is missing the mark. That's probably the best picture. It's like an, an archer who has a bow and arrow and he's aiming at the bullside and he just keeps missing. He just keeps missing. It just, he never hits the, the target. And that's what sin is. It's trespassing. It's missing the mark. Sin 
sin is falling short. Romans 3.23 says we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We're like a marathon runner. We, we just can't get to the finish line. We don't have the strength and the stamina to go the distance. And so we fall short. We fall short of God's glory. We fall short of God's holiness. The reason why we don't think about sin anymore is because we don't think about God's holiness anymore. We don't believe that God is holy and pure and righteous and undefiled and unpolluted. He's not like us. He's never had a bad attitude. He's never fallen short in any way. He's the one that sets the boundaries. And so we don't have a grasp of sin because we've lost a grasp of the holiness of God. We've fallen short of the holiness of God. Now, when we think about sin, most of us think about the sins we commit, the laundry list of sins, the do's and the don'ts, and we think of sins. There are certainly do's and don'ts in the Bible. And when you disobey one of the do's or the don'ts, you sin. But please hear me. That's not our biggest problem. Our biggest problem is not that we commit sins. Our biggest problem is that we like to sin. Our biggest problem is not that we're a law breaker. Our biggest problem is that we are actually law haters. It goes deeper than that. I sin because at my core, I am a sinner. I am not a sinner because I commit sins. I commit sins because deep down on the inside of me, I am spiritually broken. I'm spiritually weak and I want to set my own boundaries and I don't want to believe I've fallen short and I swell up in pride and I want to be my own God. And therefore, I excuse my sin. Sin is my bent away from God. I am born into this world with my back turned on God. I am born into this world bent away from God. I'm born into this world allergic to God. Sin makes me allergic to God. And it is only an act of grace that turns me around and an act of repentance that faces me back in the direction of the Lord. Sin deceives me. It makes me think I'm better than I really am. And it makes me think that my biggest problem is somebody else's sins, somebody that sinned against me. We sin because it's our natural born nature. And it's only an act of God that can turn me away from it. I want to excuse my sin. I want to blame my sin on my condition, my upbringing, my lack of money, my lack of education, the way that I was treated, the dysfunction of my father, uh, my stupid church that didn't teach me correctly, uh, the fifth grade girl that broke my heart, you know, and, and we, we, we excuse, we minimize our sin and blame it on everybody but ourselves. Have you sinned? Has God in the last five minutes been bringing conviction on your heart because you're a sinner? Or are you swelling up thinking, I used to be like that. I know some people like that. My kids are like that. 
or are you hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit convict you of sin? You say, well, I know I'm, I'm, I know I'm a sinner, but I just, I don't know specific. Well, let me help you a little bit. Lying, cheating, stealing, covetousness, selfishness, idolatry, a lack of love, jealousy, envy, complaining, anger, worry, fear, profanity, pornography, lust, sex outside of marriage, adultery, gluttony, greed, lack of generosity, unfaithfulness, hypocrisy, laziness, procrastination, irresponsibility, self-righteousness, unbelief, or murder. You say, finally, one I haven't committed, thank you. Wait a minute. Jesus said, if you've hated your brother in your heart, you've actually murdered him. Has the weight of sin brought you face to face with the reality that sin will paralyze you spiritually? This guy's biggest problem was not his physical paralysis. His biggest problem was his spiritual paralysis. Sin paralyzes you spiritually. It immobilizes you so that you can't move toward God. You actually have to have an outside force pick you up, turn you around, bring you to Jesus for healing. That is the illustration here in this story. Now notice in verse 20, it says, when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiveness. He saw the faith of the four guys that dragged him there. He saw the faith of the man that was lying there in his paralysis. And Jesus responds to their faith. That is a mind-blowing thing that Jesus did something in response to a human being, a sinful, broken, paralyzed human being. And I can't explain this to you, but some things Jesus does not do until or unless you have faith. And the first thing you have to have faith to believe is that you are spiritually paralyzed. I have to believe the report of my spiritual condition. And then I have to believe that Jesus can do something about it. So much so that I will get myself to Jesus, no matter what the obstacles, no matter what stands in the way, no matter what the risk, no matter what the expense, I'm gonna get to Jesus. That's what these guys did. Here's the second point. We need to understand the forgiving power of Jesus. Look at verse 21. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them and said, Why do you question in your hearts? So what does it mean to be forgiven? Jesus looks at these guys and says, your sins are forgiven. He doesn't say your sickness is healed. He says your sins are forgiven. Do you know what Jesus did? Jesus instantly, permanently, and eternally changed the legal status of this guy before God. He completely instantly 
and eternally forgave his sin. Sin makes a barrier between you and God. Jesus in that moment removed the barrier. Jesus put him in an eternal state of forgiveness. He didn't just say, I'm not gonna pay attention to the things that you've done that are bad. He forgave him of his past, his present, and his future sin. That's what Jesus does when he forgives. He removes everything that would block you from God. In that moment, do you know what Jesus did? Jesus reached into this guy's spiritual bank account and he made a withdrawal of all this guy's sin. And then he made a deposit in this guy's spiritual bank account of all of Jesus's righteousness. That's what happens when we're forgiven. We are completely treated as if we've never sinned and as if we have perfectly obeyed everything God has ever commanded. That's what happened in that moment. Forgiveness removes the penalty of sin. Forgiveness removes the shame of sin and forgiveness destroys the power of sin. Now again, it's interesting. They didn't bring this guy there to get his sins forgiven. They brought him there to get his paralysis fixed. But Jesus did something invisible in healing this guy's spiritual problem. Now, that brings us to the question, why does Jesus do miracles? We see miracles as we're going through this. And if you're a modern Western American, enlightened, secular person that just doesn't believe in miracles, then you're going to have a hard time with Jesus, okay? Now, Jesus, every time he did a miracle, this is what he was happening. Jesus was reversing the curse that was brought on this world by our sin. When Jesus did a miracle, he was returning the world to its original condition. The world was created without sin, without sickness, without death, without demons, without disease. And every time Jesus did a miracle, do you know what he was doing? He was cracking into this broken world and showing us what the world was originally supposed to be like and the, what the world is going to be like when he brings the new creation. That's what happened every time Jesus did a miracle. And he had a purpose for his miracles beyond the immediate effect of what he fixed. Miracles were signs that Jesus had complete control, absolute authority over not only sickness, but over sin. And so if you're asking Jesus to do a miracle in your life, all those things that are broken in your life, don't be satisfied with just the physical miracle. I was told when I was in seminary that miracles were a departure from the natural realm. It's not a departure from the natural realm. It's a return to the natural realm. We're living in the unnatural realm with all the sin and all the sickness that we have to deal with. And so don't miss what Jesus is trying to do. And don't, don't make too much of the miracle, okay? Listen, everybody that Jesus physically healed eventually got sick and died, correct? 
So every physical healing was a temporary change that pointed to an eternal change that Jesus wanted to make in their lives. And so we need something beyond a physical miracle. This guy needed something beyond the physical miracle. Everything that Jesus did was to prompt this question. Who is this? And that was the question the Pharisees asked when they saw the physical miracle. Again, look at it there in verse 21. The scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this? That's the question that Luke is trying to answer through the whole book. Who is Jesus? And so we're going to find out who the Pharisees thought Jesus was. Here's who they thought he was. They thought he was a blasphemer. Interestingly, when Jesus forgives this guy's sin, the Pharisees accuse Jesus of committing the unforgivable sin. Crazy. Because in their minds, they could not conceive of a man placing himself in the position of God. And that's exactly what Jesus did. 100% man, 100% God, completely in control over all sickness and over all sin. And so they asked the question, who can forgive sins but God and God alone? What's the answer to that question? No one. So who is this? This is God who has forgiven this guy's sin. Then in verse 23, Jesus asked this question. Now, this is, this is the question on the test. Okay, here it is. Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise and walk? What's easier, the physical miracle or the spiritual miracle? I kind of wrestled with this because I'm not quite sure I know the answer. Well, here, here, here's the correct answer. Which is easier, to heal someone spiritually or to heal someone physically? Listen, it's easier, notice, to say. It, Jesus is not asking which is, which is harder, which is easier. He's saying, is it easier to say you're physically healed or is it easier to say you're spiritually healed? For instance, all you people that rose, raised your hands earlier in the service, if I just looked at it, it's like, all your sins are forgiven. Is that easier to say? Or is it easier to say this? All of your physical ailments are healed. Listen, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because that can't be proven. It's harder to say your sickness is healed because if you're not healed... I'm discredited. Therefore, if I say your sins are forgiven, maybe, maybe not. Well, Jesus looks at them and says this in response. He says in verse uh, 24, he says, but that you may know the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up his bed, picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. So he does the second miracle. 
He not only forgives his sins, but he heals his physical paralysis. And in doing so, Jesus is letting those Pharisees know that he has complete control, complete authority to forgive sin. If he can tell a guy, rise and walk, then he has the authority to say, your sins are forgiven. Every physical miracle is pointing to a greater miracle. Spiritually, this guy's sins are forgiven. It's true. Jesus alone has the authority to forgive sin. You know what that means for us? No other human being can forgive your sin. All your sin is against God. Now you may have sinned against another human being, but even in doing that, ultimately you were sinning against God who created that human being. That means that no priest can remove your sin. It means your mama can't forgive your sin. Mamas really are good at trying to forgive their kid's sin. You love your kids, you want their sin to be forgiven, and you don't want them to go to hell, and so you try to forgive their sin. You can't do it, only God can do that. A better behaved version of you can't forgive your sin. So quit trying to forgive your past sin by your future obedience. Only Jesus can forgive your sin. And so understand the forgiving power of Jesus. And then number three, understand the transforming power of amazement. Notice what happens. It says that he rose, he picked up his bed, and he went home glorifying God. Now, can you imagine what these Pharisees must have been thinking? These Pharisees used the power of guilt to try to control people to get them to obey God. What do you do when Jesus has just announced that every sin, past, present, and future, has been forgiven because these Pharisees must have been thinking, well, if that guy goes out of here thinking he's forgiven, he's gonna go out of here thinking he can sin. That's a dilemma, isn't it? You know what religion does? Religious, rule-keeping, spiritual police, Pharisee types. They think they can motivate you to obey by keeping you from believing you're forgiven. Jesus' message is entirely the obstacle of man-made religious rule-keeping. What keeps us from sinning is not guilt, but grace. What keeps us from sinning is living in the amazement that he would love me enough to die on that cross to forgive my sin. And so what keeps me from lying and cheating and stealing and living a selfish life, what keeps me from committing sexual sin, what keeps me from holding on to my money and spending it all on me is the amazing reality that I have been forgiven. If you are disobedient, if you are living in sin, 
The reason is because you are not living in the amazement of the spiritual miracle God has done to remove your sin, to put you in a state of forgiveness, past, present, and future, and now to go out of there, to rise, to walk, to leave that bed, and go walk with Jesus in obedience to the one who has forgiven you. Are you more troubled by your physical illness or your spiritual illness? I just want to stop here for a second, okay? Hopefully you're with me. I can see you've been with me here. Hopefully you've moved past the fact that you have joint pain and acne, okay? I can't do anything about that. But there is something that can happen immediately, right now, if you will come face to face with your sin. If you will believe that only God can fix your problem, if you will believe that you are bent away from God, that you are born in this world walking away from God, and if you will believe you are spiritually paralyzed until or unless Jesus spiritually heals you, right now in this moment, you can have your sin forgiven. As a matter of fact, I just want us to bow your heads, close your eyes. We're not gonna sing. We're, we're not gonna do anything right now. We're not even done with the sermon. I got one more point, but just stop for a second here, okay? Because some of you are spiritually paralyzed. You've never come alive to God. You've never taken your first step toward Jesus. And in this moment, Jesus wants to announce to you, if you will repent, if you will believe, in this moment, you can be changed, you can be healed, you can be renewed. Will you believe what God has said about your sin? Stop excusing, stop minimizing, stop blaming it on somebody else. And, and maybe for the first time in your life say, I'm not just slow, I am paralyzed. Jesus, I need what you offered to this guy. by your grace 
you've poured into them instant, permanent, eternal forgiveness of sin. God, it, it blows our mind to think that you would do that for us. And God, I pray that we would walk in the amazement of that to live every day glorifying you. We pray in Jesus' name. Now, once you see the last point here, we're almost done. As a matter of fact, I'll let you stand up and we'll get through the last point together. Here's the last thing, the compelling power of forgiveness. Why don't we all stand together? Some of you are like, no, I gotta write that down first. It's all right, you can write it down, then stand up. The compelling power of forgiveness. Do you notice that this guy couldn't get to Jesus by himself? He's paralyzed. The only way this guy could get to Jesus, if he is if he had some friends that loved him enough to exert effort, to pay a price, and even to risk their lives by getting this guy to Jesus. I mean, think about it. They tore a hole in the roof. Now, Jesus forgave them, but the guy that owned the building, that, he was probably gonna require them to pay that back, right? Here, here's what I want you to think about, okay? You just heard at the beginning of the service when Micah told us Easter's coming up. By the way, it's not just Easter. We do, we do this every week. Do you have people around you that God has put you in proximity with that are spiritually paralyzed? they can't get to Jesus until you exert some effort, show some compassion, pay a price, and maybe even risk something to get them to the place where Jesus can forgive. That's our assignment. Who do you love enough to risk the rejection of having that awkward conversation? Listen, I want to encourage you. When you think about people around you, it's not enough just to invite them. This guy's friends, they could have invited him all day long. He couldn't get there unless they brought him. So when you think about the people that you're thinking of right now that God's bringing to mind, don't just think about inviting them to church. Bring them to church. I'm coming to get you. I'm loading you in the minivan with my four-year-old. And you're going to come to church because you are spiritually paralyzed. And I want to see you rise and walk, glorifying God. There's one more verse here I didn't read. I've got to read the last verse. Here it is. Here it is. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. Listen, the moment, the day that you lose the amazement of being forgiven is the day you stop bringing friends to Jesus. Are you still amazed? Are you still in awe that God would forgive someone like you? Prove it. Go bring somebody else 
so that they can experience the extraordinary forgiveness of Jesus. That's our assignment. That's the way we're gonna leave out of here today. You are loved.